to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host, Heather Evans. Recently, what we would refer to in the political science literature as scandals have been making the news, maybe due to the fact that this is an election year. From individuals like Madison Cawthorn and Lauren Boebert to local people like Tennessee Republican Secretary of State Trey Haggart's DUI charge after Bonnaroo on Friday night, and the Democratic challenger for Virginia's 9th congressional seat, Tasha Devon, coming out about her former DWI last weekend. It made me wonder, do scandals matter today? So our show today is going to revolve around the effects of scandals in elections. And my first guest on the program today has extensively studied scandals at the presidential, congressional, and judicial levels, and how they impact elections. Scott Basinger is an associate professor of political science and director of graduate studies at the University of Houston. He is the author of 14 articles and edited volume chapters on American political scandals involving members of Congress, executive branch officials, and judicial nominees. So thanks for joining me today, Scott. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So I guess my first question today is how do we define what a scandal is? I use the phrase scandal immediately that we would call these things scandals, but how do we nail down a good definition of that? Yeah, that's really tricky. And that's often one of the first things that I have to do um, when I teach an undergraduate course on political scandals is we'll take the first chapter of a couple different books and break down how they define them. Because depending on what you're trying to do, you might have a different uh, definition of them. And so my favorite definition comes from a a British book that was actually on on scandals in England that was published in 2000. And they they identify a couple critical elements of it. And the first one is really obvious, which is that there's some kind of alleged or actual misbehavior by someone. So, So there has to be misbehavior that actually took place or that there's a credible accusation that that there was some misbehavior. And then the second aspect of it that I think is really important is that there has to be some secrecy or concealment of that behavior. And that's part of what makes it easier to differentiate between like really controversial statements that people make and an actual scandal. So if I go speak to a group of white supremacists and I'm trumpeting that fact and proud of it and advertising it, it can't really be a scandal because there's no secrecy or concealment. But when Steve Scalise did it, um, he hid that fact and tried to pretend that he didn't know he was speaking to white supremacists and that wasn't the topic. And so the concealment is really a critical part of the definition of what goes into a scandal. Um, And then the third element that's sort of obvious is that in spite of the concealment, it has to become known to the public in some way. And so I look for sort of credible allegations of misbehavior um, that are widely reported within the media. That's, That's what I look for. And then I double check to make sure that there was some attempt to conceal it rather than, you know, fundraise off of it. So that's how I define a scandal. Now, you also look at different types of scandals, correct? Like you classify them differently. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I, in my earlier research, um, I, I started with three major categories, um, sexual, political, and financial. And more recently, I've tried hard to, to take the financial category and split it into finer categories. 
and, and the same thing for sexual scandals. So the main categories of sexual scandals would be extramarital affairs and sexual harassment. And so you can take something like um, Clarence Thomas and the, the accusations that were made about him when he was nominated, that was a, a sexual harassment scandal as opposed to an extramarital affair. And so I thought it was important to make that distinction. And then in 2017, 2018, with the whole Me Too movement, it was really helpful that I had made that distinction from the beginning, um, because that's much more the kind of scandal that we saw in that time frame. Within political scandals, it's, it would be things like um, leaking classified information. Uh, if you have fraudulent signatures um, on your, your forms to, to run for re-election or something like that. In, in campaign fundraising, um, a lot of times I've classified that as a political scandal. And then financial scandals, there's a wide variety of them. Um, and the newer subjects or, or sort of subtopics that I group them under are conflicts of interest where you may own some property um, or a, a business or stock in some company and you try to make that more valuable. Or uh, grifting is a, a second category where you convert campaign contributions or sort of public spending to your own wealth. Um, so spending $90,000 on a, a brand new Chevy Tahoe and charging it to your campaign accounts, um, that would be an example of grift. And then grafting would be, um, you know, uh, different forms of financial malfeasance um, that maybe don't involve like spending campaign funds on yourself, uh, but maybe utilizing your powers as a legislator to make other people wealthy so that they'll contribute into your campaign. So those are those are like the major categories of financial scandals. Um, and then there's an other category. And the other is all kinds of hilarious, um, sometimes residual things. Um, so Louis Gomer uh, got a parking ticket at one point. Um, he was parking his car at the Lincoln uh, Memorial and Capitol Police came over to give him a ticket and he got rude and offensive. And, and so like, that's an other scandal. Um, drug use, alcohol abuse, things like that are just sort of all fit into this, this residual category. So which type of scandal is most prevalent? Most prevalent is the financial scandals. Um, and what's interesting is I've collected data on House, um, so members of the House of Representatives, senators and the executive branch. Um, and that was with the co-author Brandon Roddinghouse, who's a colleague at the University of Houston. And what we found there was that more than 50% of scandals were financial. And then when I look at Senate and House in both chambers, it's about 60% of scandals are financial. Um, so I, the, the fact that it's regular across these three institutions gives me a lot of confidence in saying that most of the time, most scandals at least most scandals that are revealed are financial in nature. Um, and then you've got something like 20% sexual, 20% political, and then this 10% or so that are in this residual category. Now, in terms of these scandals, do you find that one party or the other tends to have different types of scandals? It seems um, like Republicans are more likely to have financial scandals, at least recently that's the case. On the other hand, there are certain time periods where you see a cluster of scandals of a particular type. And so sometimes these clusters sort of erupt and that leads to an impression that one party is predominantly having one particular type of scandal. Take the Jack Abramoff scandals from like 2005, 2006. 
Abramoff was mostly contributing money to Republican candidates or, or sort of, you know, getting money to Republican candidates so that they could do what he wanted. And so you get more scandals than usual in that Congress and more of the people who are having scandals happen to be Republicans. Um, and so it looked like Republicans were having more financial scandals. But if I looked over a long enough time frame, you would see in periods where there are more Democrats than Republicans, Democrats might have more financial scandals. And, and in a time period where there are more Republicans than Democrats, Republicans might have more scandals. One of the set of scandals that you do tend to see Republicans having more often is if they own companies and then have scandals involving those companies themselves. Those are almost exclusively Republicans. And it's things, you know, everything, Mark Wayne Mullen in Oklahoma owned a company and was sort of continuing to receive uh, some payments from that company because he had it set up to like automatically deposit in his accounts. Um, well, he didn't stop doing that right away. And so was it real like intentional misbehavior? Not necessarily, but he, he was a business owner. And so, you know, a business owner is going to be more likely to have that kind of scandal. So what I really want to talk about today is the effects in elections. And I know you've done some work on that, whether people hold those who are elected kind of to account for these scandals. Yeah. What do you find in that area? Is there an electoral consequence to a scandal in someone's career? So um, I hate to use the word, you know, equivocal, <laughs> but but that's what the data are, is they sort of speak out of both sides of their mouths on this topic. So one of the ways that you can look for electoral effects is let's just compare the election results for an individual congressman or, or woman, but mostly men, before a scandal happens compared to after a scandal happens. And so do we see voters in aggregate changing? And so that's kind of easy to do if you pick one scandal at a time, you can look and see, okay, well, what happened? Did they tend to get fewer votes after a scandal took place than before? Um, and when you do that, you often will find that there are individual members who lose a chunk of vote. So I was looking earlier today at Jim Jordan. Um, so his scandal in uh, around 2018, it turned out, it, it, it came out that a doctor at Ohio State University had been sexually abusing um, athletes, male athletes, especially members of the wrestling team. And Jim Jordan at the time was a wrestling coach at, at uh, Ohio State University. And if you look from before that scandal came out, he was getting about 68% of the vote. After the scandal came out, he, it dropped down to 65, 65.5% of the vote. So sort of a 2.5% swing, which doesn't seem like that much of a swing for one person in, in one election. If you look over a much broader set of elections, historically, it seemed like the effect of a scandal is about 5% of the vote. So a member of Congress who's involved in a scandal should lose about 5% from their vote, which means if they're losing it and the challenger is getting it, that margin of victories is cut by about 10 points from before a scandal to after a scandal. That's using historical data that stretches from the mid-1970s up through about 2010. Um, sex scandals a little bit more, political scandals a little bit less, you know, maybe only one to two percent for a political scandal. But for something like a sex scandal, um, we're talking four to six percent of the vote. So the sex scandals will be the highest number of votes that they would potentially lose. Yeah, because in my explanation for that is that they're the easiest ones to understand. Right. Uh, a lot of these scandals that you're um, 
when you try to find out what the person is accused of doing, it gets really complicated really fast, unless there's like a really short version of it. So some of the headlines sometimes are like, congressmen spend $70,000 at Chick-fil-A, right? Or, or something like that. And like, oh, that doesn't sound good. Or like, that doesn't sound quite right. But having a sex scandal is particularly easy for people to understand. And so those, I think, tend to be the most, um, the most uh, impactful. But the other way that the data is equivocal is if you look at survival, like who actually survives scandals, it turns out that like only around 50 to 60% of members of Congress will win re-election in their next election after having a scandal. And so there are lots of other ways that scandals have maybe not effects on the election itself, but on the electoral process. And so they may be like Katie Hill in California, more likely to resign and just say, look, I'm not going to fight this. Um, the right thing to do is to resign or Al Franken in Minnesota, he resigned also. In a lot of cases, members will lose their primaries as happened with Madison Cockle, right? Is that the scandals become sort of too much for a party to take. And so they'll nominate an alternative candidate that people can rally behind. So even if the electoral consequences in the general election themselves aren't very big, the fact that somewhere around 40 to 50% of members of Congress do not win re-election suggests that there are other ways in which scandals are having pretty, pretty major effects. Now here in Virginia and Northeast Tennessee, I've been hearing about candidates, candidates who have things in their past. So these aren't people who are elected yet, um, but candidates who have things in their, either in their past or something that's current uh, involving, you know, a scandal of some sort. The ones that, um, that, that really brought me here were DWIs or DUIs and things like that. Have you done any work on candidates generally, or is it really just those who are currently elected? Yeah, it's really hard to find information about candidates. Um, a lot of what eases the process of collecting data about scandals is um, the House and the Senate have ethics committees. And so they'll investigate and release reports and findings. And then the House also has a, a sort of semi-independent body called the Office of Congressional Ethics and they'll conduct initial investigations. And so you can, you can actually, if you think someone has done something wrong, like file a complaint with the Office of Congressional Ethics and they'll look into it. And so that makes it a lot easier to find out whether people have been accused of things. Um, for challengers themselves, the only time that you necessarily find out is um, if they win the election, <laughs> then sometimes um, things from their past might come back up. Um, and so like um, Matt Gates had had a DUI in, I think, 2006, um, and it was sort of widely known at the time, and it didn't seem to have any effect when he won his election. And then when it kind of comes back around after he's already in office, you have to say like, well, it was widely known before he was elected in the first place. This isn't really a new scandal. Um, and so, yeah, so I don't, I don't have information about scandals, you know, involving people who are who are contesting offices, but I suspect there are a lot of them. Uh, you know, undergraduates should should you know be like, I, I should I should get a few to gather data on that as as their own research projects because there's probably some really interesting data out there. 
Now, I know that you've been looking at scandals since the 70s and forward. Are you finding that the effects of scandals, I guess, are fewer these days or less these days, that people are not as affected by scandals now as they used to be? Yeah, it seems like they're not, um, which, you know, for someone who spent a while doing research on the electoral effects, um, it's been sort of challenging to me to figure out what's actually going on. Um, I've been every two years or so trying to update the data and look at some of the newer elections. And what I've found the last couple of times that I looked is if we just look at those general election outcomes, it seems like the effects of scandals have dwindled from three, four, five percent down to maybe just one or two percent. Now, there's a lot of variation across members of Congress. So someone like Duncan Hunter, um, who, you know, ended up under FBI investigation and pleading guilty to federal crimes, he lost like 25% of, of the vote. So there are some people who lose a lot, but then there are other people who actually gain after their, um, after their scandals. And, and when you offset those things, it seems like it's only about 1% or so, which is kind of disappointing. So what can you tell us about partisanship? Because what I see a lot, and this has been going on for years, is that partisans may be less likely to hold their co-partisans to a certain standard that they would to those who are opposite the party them, right? So like if there were scandals that came out about a Democrat and a Republican, but I'm a Democrat, I may be more likely to criticize the Republican than I would be the Democrat. Do you find that in your research? To some extent, I do. Um, it does seem like independents are the ones, when you look at individual level survey data, it looks like political independents are the ones who move the most. Um, part of the reason for that is if I'm a Democrat, I wasn't going to support a Republican candidate regardless of whether they had a scandal. And if I'm a Republican, I might support them even in spite of a scandal, but it's the independents who are moving more between the parties. When I teach my, um, my class on political scandals, one of the major topics that we talk about early on is just the subject of character in general. Like there isn't a whole lot of political science research on character and what is character and when does it matter? And one of the first topics that we talk about is, and I actually ask a midterm question about it, um, the idea is what's called moral seamlessness. Does being a good person in your personal life translate over to being a good public servant? And like how necessary of a connection is there? And I, in my opinion, like moral seamlessness is kind of a fiction that we tend to apply more to people in the other party than we do in our own party. And so um, there have been some great uh, polling questions about like, is it important for a person to be like morally and privately you know, upstanding? And if you look when Bill Clinton was president, like Republicans overwhelmingly said like, yes, you cannot be a good president if you're not a good person. And Democrats were like, well, maybe you can. Like, is it really that important? Then you look in 2017, 2018, when Donald Trump is president, and Democrats overwhelmingly are saying now you cannot be a good president unless you're a good person. And Republicans are saying like, you know, personal morality doesn't really matter that much. Um, and so, yeah, it, it seems when you look at that survey data that people are willing to apply it to members of the other party, um, but they're awfully forgiving of their own party. 
Well, thank you again for being on the show today. You've given me and hopefully all of the listeners a lot to think about involving scandals and whether we treat candidates the same way, no matter their partisanship. It sounds like independents are the ones who are really doing that. (laughs) So thank you for being on the show. No problem. It was great fun. For the second part of the program, I've invited back on Brandon Moore, um, who you may remember from earlier programs that I've had to talk about local politics. Because as I mentioned in the first piece uh, with Scott, there are a few people in our area who are running for office right now or who are currently serving who recently have had either DWIs or maybe even in their past a few years ago have had DWIs or DUIs. And so I wanted to talk about those and see kind of like a local perspective of this. And plus, Brandon is an independent. And as Scott points out, independents are the ones who tend to hold these people accountable for things. If you're paying attention to local politics, you may have noticed Tasha Devon uh, running here in the 9th District. She came out about a week and a half ago to kind of take ownership of a DWI that she was charged with back in 2013 in Wise County. There's also Trey Hargett, who is the Secretary of State in Tennessee, who recently um, received a DUI. And then Michael Schultz is actually running for district attorney in East Tennessee. And he was, he actually had a DUI as well in 2014. So let's talk about these three individuals and the things that we're seeing from these three cases. So Brandon, what do you think about kind of how the media is portraying these or I guess covering these three cases? Well, Heather, it's actually really interesting that the two Republicans, which would be your members in Tennessee, Trey and the Schultz man, they're getting a lot more coverage in comparison to Tasha. Now, that could either be because Tasha's a woman and they're men, or that could be because Tasha's a Democrat and they're Republicans. Now, obviously, Trey is an incumbent. So he's, he's currently Secretary of State, which means he's going to get a little more media attention mm-hmm. because he's currently serving. Right. Now... The Schultz man is running for DA, which is, you know, kind of odd because you have a DUI and you're running for a position that would punish those with DUIs. <laughs> so right. that's that's a little odd in itself. And he's, he's getting more attention as well. Then you have Tasha, who truthfully you would expect to be getting the most media attention considering she's running for Congress, a national position. And if we Google the three of them, yeah. You have the Trey person having a ton of articles come up. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, Schultz is having three or four. Yeah, he, he's got like four different. And he's actually had um, not just print media, he's had visual media. So he's had like local media reporting on him with, with audio and visuals. And then, of course, with Tasha, you have one story come up. Yeah, one story in um, a... an outlet that I would say is not truly representative of the 9th District. So as you may have read in the statement that was released from her about this incident, it was a a week and a half ago in the Kingsport Times News, she said that she wanted to be honest with people in the 9th. Um, In the 9th District, she was kind of struggling with how to tell them this, but then the place that released that information was Kingsport which is an interesting choice. And I haven't seen it covered anywhere else. Have you? No, and um, I've shared it a few places, and it's it's really weird because if you're wanting to be honest and get out in front of this, if it's been leaked or whatever, 
you're going to try to actually, you know, her words where she wants to let the Democrats and the people know, well, one, your, your Democrat party leaders in the area already knew, but two, um, the, the regular voters like you and I, we didn't know, and you're wanting to get out in front of it. And, you know, Taisha likes to point out that the ninth district is like 9,000 square miles. Why would you only go to a newspaper in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is obviously not in the ninth district, and tell them and not go to places like WCYB, WJHL, uh, Bristol Herald Courier, or, of course, because Roanoke is in the ninth district and Metropolitan, and you're going to have a lot more people there. Why are you not releasing it to, to Roanoke News? Um, it was like it's trying to keep hush hush. You know, you're talking about scandals, and a DUI, or in her case, a DWI, Virginia, Virginia calls them DWIs. Period. Uh, it's bad enough, and well, it's, tr- it's truly very bad in my opinion. But if you want to make it seem more scandalous, say that you're you're being honest with your voters by saying very very minimal, and only letting one story come out about it. Yeah, I had actually expected when the story broke. When I when I came across the story, I thought, okay, she'll probably also put up something on her Facebook page because she does have a candidate page. Now, for these other two individuals, so Michael Schultz, Trey Hargett, I cannot find, um, at least for Michael Schultz, because he's currently running, I can't find a campaign page for him. I can find his attorney page because he has a page dedicated to his office, he doesn't have anything on there about running. We wouldn't expect him to have anything on there about running, but he doesn't have a campaign page. I thought, though, that with Tasha Devon, that she would have put up some kind of statement since it was hitting some news outlet. But again, it only hit in Kingsport. And I'm honestly unsure if anyone in the area knows about the story at all. Well, with people I've talked to, the problem with Tasha from the beginning is nobody knows who she is. And... You know, I've talked to him. It's actually very interesting. Recently, a friend of mine, a coworker, uh, one of his best friends was killed in an accident. It turned out the driver was drunk and killed his friend on a motorcycle. Um, you know, I was talking to him about it, and he, I said, you know, it's weird. I said, uh, we just had a congressional candidate come out that she had been charged and convicted of a DWI before. And he's like, who? And I said, Taisha. And, and he's like, who is that? Yeah. You, you know, so... Nobody knows who she is to begin with, but when you're talking about it, that also goes into to the fact that they're not reacting maybe as, as harshly as they would because they have no clue who she is. Um, if she had more of a reach already, I want to believe there would be a lot more feedback going on. Well, and that that's absolutely true. So back down in Texas, when Beto O'Rourke ran in 2018, his DUI slash DWI came out during his election and there was a ton of posts about it a ton of coverage about it and as scott mentioned in the first segment right matt gates different people have had these things happen to them and if they're more well known then the effect of the story you know if we want to call it a scandal or whatnot the effect of that is greater for them and you know we don't know right now what the effect of something like this is on a challenger but it does seem that it it will affect elections. And for a candidate that's not that well-known, having this kind of on a record doesn't help her. Um, you know, in terms of her, I guess you could say, how the voters feel about her, the potential voters, how they would feel about her. Well, I can speak on that just a little bit. Um, being independent, I have a lot of independent friends, and I work with a lot of younger people who refuse to say 
whether they want to be a Republican or a Democrat. Now, you talked about this in your last show that Southwest Virginia and the 9th District were gun owners. We have a lot of people who are gun owners. Um, one of the things you're seeing from people who are actually starting to hear about this, uh, mostly from me, because as I said, it, it was only shared in Kingsport Times News. They're like, well, isn't this, you know, a person who pushes for tougher gun laws to stop shootings, but she doesn't actually follow laws that we've had in 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 place for not drinking and driving. So it's kind of hypocritical. So I don't know that it's going to hurt her a lot, but amongst independent voters and just free thinking people, they're like, well, you know, I don't really know that I would vote for her, but maybe she needs to see that laws don't always stop things. Interesting. Yeah. I think that it is smart that she went to Kingsport. I got to tell you, because I know that, you know, she put out some statement about it. And and later, if this comes out by Griffith's team, she can say, well, I've already talked about that in one place. But it, for me, as someone who consumes media, I would have liked to have seen, and I would still like to see more coverage of this. And perhaps it won't have any effect. As Scott mentioned Things like this, they don't have a massive impact, but it does affect things on the edges. It will be interesting to see if she tries to use that as an excuse if it does come out and how it will affect her. Because just as easy as saying, well, I've already spoke about this once, you know, you could have Morgan Griffith go, yeah, and you did it in the least way possible and basically are still trying to cover it up. But, you know, when you run for politics, what you've done throughout your life and your record and how many times... You show up in whatever state, if they look you up on a on a police database, that's going to stick with you. And if you've got a clean record, well, you're good to go. And if you don't, it's going to come out. Yeah, it will. All right. Well, thanks for being on the show again. If you missed any piece of the program today, you can catch up again 